Hear that? Is that America cheering or a sausage patty sizzling to perfection? It's time to cheer for Egg McMuffin and fresh cracked eggs at McDonald's. It's time to wake up to the aroma of freshly baked biscuits and treat yourself to a real honest-to-goodness morning meal. Breakfast, it's on at McDonald's. Now get any breakfast sandwich for just 2 bucks. Available only through the app. Mobile order and pay available at participating McDonald's. McD app download and registration required. Second Chronicles chapter 29 is the passage of scripture we've been looking at. We're in a series on revival and we're looking at the life and times of King Hezekiah. Hezekiah. And he was able by God's grace to turn the entire nation back to the Lord. And it's just an amazing story, an amazing passage of scripture. I'll tell you what we're going to do is I'm going to just be referring to different verses throughout this chapter. Uh, essentially, the story that we'll be looking at today starts out Second Chronicles 29, verses 20 through 35. And so, so far, we've looked at the fact that there, there's literally four spiritual principles, I believe, inherent in this story that Hezekiah embraced and implemented in order to see his people come back to the Lord. It was very difficult and dark days. They had moved away from God completely. Worship of of Jehovah was no longer happening. And they were in a place where Hezekiah said, we've got to do something. I'm going to make a covenant with the Lord our God. I'm going to see, you know, his blessing come back upon his people. And so the first thing we looked at was saturation, which is the unstopping of the doors that had been sealed closed to the temple so that people could once again access the presence of the Lord. That was the first thing he did. And then the second thing he did was he gathered the Levites and the priests into the public square and commanded them to sanctify themselves and to sanctify the house of the Lord. They started in the innermost part of the temple of God and they literally carried out all the rubbish, all the idols and the debris and things that should not have been in the house of God and then they replaced it with the articles of the Lord so that worship was once again restored. Today we want to look at our third point which really has to do with I would say celebration but when we, when we use the term celebration, it's almost like dedication slash celebration. And I'm, in other words, what I'm saying is that the message this morning is really on acceptable worship. What is acceptable worship? Now, let's understand this, that saying that there's acceptable worship implies that there's worship that's not acceptable, right? So Jesus tells us this in John chapter 4, verses 23 and 24 about worship. The hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. All right. So what would the opposite be of worshiping in spirit and in truth? Worshiping in our flesh, worshiping maybe just with our soul, and worshiping in a way 
that is really not based on a sincere heart. Now, the word truth, it's a very interesting term in the Greek language. It doesn't just mean um, sincerity, like, you know, that person is, 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 is a good person, but it literally speaks of the truth of God's word as well. So it's not enough to just say, well, I'm sincere, right? Because we can be sincerely wrong. So we have to recognize that. It's not enough just to be sincere. So if we worship in spirit, we have to worship in truth. God is a spirit, and those that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. It's very, very important that we understand that. So the reality is, if we worship God in spirit and in truth, we're good. That's exactly what he's looking for. So this morning, we're going to look at some examples, particularly found in 2 Chronicles chapter 29, that have to do with the type of worship that is acceptable to God. Now, the third act of, of obedience that these people followed at the direction of King Hezekiah was after the temple had been purged, after the temple had been sanctified, they gathered together, he called the priests and the Levites, and he said, what we're going to do is we're going to offer a sacrifice to God. And so the, under the direction of the Levites and the priests, they offered, verses 20 through 24, first of all, a sin offering, and then secondly, a burnt offering. Here's what I want you to please understand. Every time you read the sin offering and the burnt offering in the scripture, they are always in tandem, they always occur together, and the sin offering always comes before the burnt offering. There's no exception to that in the Bible. Sin offering is first, burnt offering comes second. No time ever is that order reversed or is one or the other omitted. So here's what happens is they make this sin offering, which really is an offering for the entire nation. They take these animals, as um, mentioned here in the Bible, and they sacrifice these animals. They shed the blood, and there's this sin offering that takes place. What happens at that point is immediately after a time of praise and worship, they begin to sacrifice the burnt offering. Now, let's just talk about the specific um, implications of the sin offering and the burnt offering. The sin offering, of course, was a type and a shadow on the old covenant of what God through his son Jesus did for us in the new covenant. Jesus became the sin offering for us. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. John chapter 1 verse 29. So there's this place where we realize that Jesus is the sin offering. Now, the good news is that he has become our sin offering in order that we can be made completely righteous. So it speaks about the fact that we who had no hope, we who had no way to be connected with God because of, of the disfellowship of sin, were now forgiven, made righteous, made holy, and we are actually reconciled back to God. We're accepted in the beloved. We become his children. We're no longer slaves, but we're children of God. What an amazing thing. And you know what? I'm really uh, concerned that we hear this type of message preached in the church and we literally become 
uh, desensitized by this. And we're like, yeah, yeah, Jesus has forgiven me of my sins. But do you realize what actually had to happen? That what in the old covenant required a sacrifice of the blood of bulls and goats, what literally in the new covenant was the precious blood of Jesus Christ himself, who has forgiven us of our sins and restored us to full fellowship with the Father. Immediately after the sin offering is the burnt offering. The burnt offering was the only sacrificial offering where the entire body of the animal was consumed on the altar except the hide. And so it's very interesting because even Jesus, they stripped him of his clothing, didn't they? Which speaks of his hide, so to speak. And they offered his entire body on the cross. So he was literally became that burnt offering for us. He was completely delivered over for us our offenses. He did not spare anything, but he poured out his life in its entirety as a sacrifice. For us, the burnt offering symbolizes a life of complete surrender and entire devotion to God. So when they would commit that act of a burnt sacrifice, they were saying, God, we dedicate ourselves afresh to you. We are surrendering our lives completely to you. We're not holding back anything. We are yours in, uh, in complete, uh, completeness, nothing less, nothing short. We're giving you everything. So it's a very significant act and it symbolizes, I believe, what Romans chapter 12, verse 2 speaks about in the New Testament. In verse 1, sorry. And that is that we are to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. I love the way the New Living puts it. To offer your bodies, your entire being, or your whole life as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. To offer our entire being. The word bodies is the Greek word soma. It doesn't just mean our physical body, but it means your entire being. Just like the burnt offering where the entire animal was sacrificed. So he's saying in the New Testament, we become the burnt offerings. We become the sacrifice that God is looking for. Where we offer our entire being, we offer ourselves completely unreservedly to the purposes and service of God. And this is what he says is our proper and true worship. Again, we're worshiping God in spirit and in truth. So proper and true worship. We've just answered the question. God is saying anything that does not include the surrender and the consecration of our entire lives is not proper and true worship. It's not acceptable to him. So if we're giving God half of our lives, half of our worship is not acceptable to him at all. And, uh, you know, there's so many scriptures in the Old Testament that talk about that. God says, you know what, I'm, I'm not going to even accept that sacrifice. You know what, shut down your festivals. Turn down the instruments because your hearts are far from me. You're not really doing this from your heart. You're not really fully surrendered. This is a pretense. And so I won't even accept your worship. Wow. Read about that, Isaiah chapter 1, Amos chapter 5. There's so many places where God addresses that. And in the New Testament, Jesus said, these people draw near to God with their mouths, but their hearts are far from him. In vain do they worship my Father. 
They exalt the traditions of men over the word of God. And they literally, literally use their, their traditions to, to make excuses for their failure to engage in proper and true worship. Their traditions replace or supplant true and proper worship of God. The word is very interesting. When you study this particular passage, the word has a lot to say regarding worship. They, there is this collective act of the sacrifice, the sin offering, then the burnt offering. Then immediately after that, while they're still worshiping, this is what we read. Hezekiah says in verse 31, you've now dedicated yourselves to the Lord. Come and bring sacrifices and thank offerings to the temple of the Lord. You've dedicated yourself to the Lord. Now, come, it literally means draw near. Draw near and bring sacrifices and thank offerings. There's two specific types of offering that is mentioned here. The first one is the sacrifice. Now, the word sacrifice literally means something that has been slain. In other words, an animal sacrifice. It involves death. It involves the shedding of blood. It involves giving up life, so to speak. Again, putting that in context in the new covenant, it involves that when we give ourselves to God, there has to be a giving up of our lives. There has to be a surrender. There has to be something that we do that literally shows that we are offering God and giving him everything. The second thing that he speaks of is thank offerings, giving God thanks for what he has done and who he is. And the idea, of course, is that we come before him and we acknowledge him for who he is, what he's done, what we've received, and the fact that he is Lord of our lives and that he has plans for us. He's the one who's going to take care of us. So this act is, and we see again, this sense of them offering burnt offerings individually in the context of this story as well, which speaks of our entire consecration, giving of ourselves to God. And the reality is sacrifice in the new covenant, even though we don't, we don't offer animals on the altar and the new covenant, sacrifice nonetheless in the new covenant involves a price. There is a cost if we're going to worship God in spirit and in truth. As I said, that cost is we offer up ourselves as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. We offer up our entire being to God. That requires our spirits, our emotions, our minds, our will, the choices we make, our time, our abilities, our gifts, and even our material possessions and finances. God says, all, your entire being, I want it all. I want everything. I want nothing less than everything. It belongs to me. I've given it to you. Psalm 104, 29 says that if God decided that he wasn't going to give you a, his, his, the next breath, he has the power and the capability to do that. God can literally say, okay, uh, no more breath. Boom, we're dead. Psalm 104, 29. Isn't that powerful? So everything belongs to him. Everything is from him, but it's also for him. 
And we cannot get away from that reality. So we read in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? You're not your own. Come on now. Yeah, no, come on, turn to your neighbor and say, you're not your own. You don't belong to you. You belong to God. You're not your own. Then listen to this, verse 20. For you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which is God's. It all belongs to him. And he's saying, I will accept nothing less than that which rightfully belongs to me. What we offer must cost us. There must be a death. There must be even a sense of pain involved. How many have ever praised until you, like, you know, you felt like, man, I can't do this. I can't worship God. I hurt too much to praise. I'm, I'm, I'm in too much pain. I'm too confused. I'm too discouraged. I'm too distressed. Or, or I don't know if I can give my finances because, you know what, in the natural it doesn't look good. But it has to require some sacrifice. It has to entail a level of acknowledging that we aren't able or capable or even uh, in a position where we can necessarily afford to do it. Until we get to the end of ourselves, we'll never find the beginning of God. It's a place where we let go and we let God, not to be cliche, but it's a place where we literally do that. And if what we give costs us nothing, it's not an acceptable sacrifice to God. David put it this way in 2 Chronicles 24, 24. He said, nor will I offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God with that which costs me nothing. I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God with that which cost me nothing. Now, how many remember maybe when you were a kid or you've done this with your kid? You know, the offering plate goes around, the offering bucket goes around, and you give your kids a little bit of money, and they put it in, right? Now, that really doesn't cost them anything. It costs you, but it doesn't cost them. But there comes a point when every one of us has to take responsibility, like, I, you know, I'm not going to give my 30-year-old son money to put in the offering. You know what I'm saying? He, he's, that would not be, that type of worship would not be acceptable to God. There comes a point where it has to cost us, each one of us. There is a sacrifice involved, and we should not give God anything that doesn't cost us. I've been to Africa many times. And one time, I actually was invited to meet with the king. I met with the president once, but I was invited to meet with the king. And I was told, this is in Nigeria, that if you go to meet with this king, there's protocol. The king lived in a palace. He had a church in his palace, no kidding. And it was through the pastor who literally was the pastor of this church that met in his palace that I was able to meet this king. And when I was summoned to meet the king, I was advised, do not go empty-handed. Make sure you have a gift for the king. If you don't give him something, it will be an insult to him. In the natural, I was thinking, this king has this massive palace. He's wealthy. He's rich. What does he need from me? But it was a sign of honor and respect 
And so I ended up literally bringing some very unique gifts from Canada to give to this king, including maple syrup biscuits. <laughs> yes, it's true. The stereotype, yes. All right, so when I met the king, I gave him the gifts and I bought him some other things also while I was in Africa. Because of me offering these gifts to him, even as the Bible says, your gift will make a way for you before kings. You literally, it opened up the heart of the king that he saw, first of all, that I respected him for who he was, and he literally invited me to come near and sit down with him, and I began to talk to him, and I began to even ask him permission to do ministry and evangelism in specific parts of that territory that he oversaw, and he granted me permission. You see, God says to his children that we cannot approach him empty-handed. The children of Israel were summoned to come before God three times a year with the three great festivals. In Exodus 23, 15, no one is to appear before me empty-handed. In Deuteronomy 16, verse 16, three times in a year, all your males shall appear before the Lord your God in the place which he chooses at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, at the Feast of Weeks, and at the Feast of Booths, and they shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. We are to bring God something that costs us. As I've already said, and I reiterate once more, the sacrifice that God requires of us in the New Testament is everything that we are, everything that we own, it all belongs to him. Some people say, God doesn't want my money, he wants your heart. Let me tell you this, if he doesn't have your money, he doesn't have your heart. You cannot say, I give God everything if you withhold your money. Conversely, you can give him your money and he still may not have your heart. It involves both. It involves all of the above. It belongs to him. It's his. And the Bible tells us in 1 Samuel 2 verse 30, the Lord is speaking and this is what he says, I will honor those who honor me. I will despise those who think lightly of me. I will honor those who honor me. He says, I will despise those who think lightly of me. What does that mean? It means we give him the leftovers. It means we give him, you know, oh, now I've done all this for me. Here you go, God. God actually tells us very clearly in the word that the first fruit belongs to him. In the Old Testament, in Leviticus You'll see very clearly, and in Exodus, when they reaped the harvest, God said, before you eat and before you partake of any of that harvest, you come before me with the first fruits offering. Before you touch it, before you eat it, before you use it, you bring the first fruits offering to me. Because it's mine. It belongs to me. I love what it says in Malachi chapter I'm sorry. In, in Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 3, verse number 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. 
honor the Lord. The word that's translated honor there is the Hebrew word from which we get the word glory. Very interesting. The word literally means you give God glory by giving him your wealth and your first fruits. If we don't give him our wealth and our first fruits, according to Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9, we're not glorifying him. He says, if you do it, here's what I'll do. Verse number 10. He says, your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. In an agrarian culture, in an agrarian society, we understand clearly what he was saying. For us today, the principle is still true. Give it to him. He is first. He deserves it. We give it to him before we partake of it. It's like the widow when Elisha came before her and he said, do you have any food? Do you have anything to eat? And she said, all I have is this little bit of flour. All I have is a little bit of oil. My son and I were about to, you know, to, to make something and, and eat it and die. And Elijah said this, give it to me first. Wow. You know, what would happen if we did that today? There would be a lawsuit. No kidding. No kidding. I've actually heard of it. But he's saying, under the direction of the Holy Spirit, do this. Honor God first. You think this wasn't excess. This wasn't surplus. This woman couldn't afford to do it. This wasn't, you know, somewhat of a sacrifice for her. This was everything. And she gave it. And what God did was he blew her away by providing a miracle so that she had more than enough. We know the scripture tells us elsewhere in Malachi 3.10, bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and test me now or try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out you upon you such blessing that there will not be room enough to contain it. This is what the Bible says. This is what the Word teaches. And why do we do it? Is it because we need to pay the bills? No, it's not because we need to pay the bills. It's not for the sake of the church that you and I do it. It's not for the sake of the church. It's for our sake that we can be a people who obey God and experience His blessing. Ultimately, things aren't going to shut down if we don't give into the kingdom. Ultimately, God will provide, but he calls us and has given us this amazing privilege to partner with him, to put him first with our time, with our talent, with our treasure, and to say, God, here am I. Here am I, and here's everything that belongs to me. I give it to you first. Another powerful scripture is found in Malachi chapter 1. And here in Malachi chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, the Lord says this, A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am the father, where is my honor? If I am a master, where is my reverence, says the Lord of hosts, to you priests who despise my name? 
Yet you say, in what way have we despised your name? You offer defiled food on my altar. If you read the context there, what was happening is they were bringing to God blemished sacrifices. They were presenting to him crippled and lame animals. And God said, it's not acceptable to me because you have better than that. You have animals that are spotless. You have animals that are without blemish, but you've chosen to keep the better part for yourself and give me the leftover, give me some half-baked uh, offer of this sacrifice, and it's not acceptable to me. He said, I'm not going to take your leftovers. I'm not going to take second best. I want everything from you. I want you to give me your very best. And again, guys, if you just think this involves money, you're missing the point of my sermon today. The point is this involves everything about us. It involves our prayer time. It involves our worship. It involves our service. It involves the time we give to be in God's house. It involves our finances, all of the above. Thank you. It literally includes everything. Interesting passage in Leviticus chapter 25, verses 18 through 22. In the Old Testament, there was what we call Sabbaths, correct? And there wasn't just a Sabbath day. There were literally Sabbath weeks and Sabbath years. There was literally a time where God said, this is the Sabbath year. Don't sow, don't reap on the land, allow the land to lay there. And the children of Israel, of course, the natural response would be, okay, so what do we do during that time? If we're not allowed to reap or sow in that year, what do we do? And God says, listen to this, Leviticus chapter 25, if you want to live securely in the land, follow my decrees and obey my regulations. Then the land will yield large crops and you will eat your fill and live securely in it. You will have what you need if you honor me, if you obey me, if you do what I'm telling you to do. But you might ask, verse 20, what will we eat during the seventh year since we're not allowed to plant or harvest crops that year? Be assured that I will send my blessing for you in the sixth year so the land will produce a crop large enough for three years. When you plant your fields in the eighth year, you will still be eating from the large crop of the sixth year. In fact, you will still be eating from the large crop when the new crop is harvested in the ninth year. Wow. God says, I can restore to you he violates the laws of nature here. And the Bible says, if you honor him, if we honor him in this, he will command a blessing on the sixth year and it will carry us through even to the ninth year. <laughs> it's not just like, well, at the end of the seventh year or the, or the, you know, the end of the eighth year, God says, no, no, I'm going to bring it so that it even into the ninth year because he is a God of more than enough. He's a God of, of extravagance. He's a God of abundance for those who test him, for those who put him first. Do it. Test me. Try me. I'll open the windows. I'll take care of you. Yeah, but you know what? I got to work. 
I can't come to church. I'm too busy. I got to work. Really? So you're not trusting God? God can bless you in such an extraordinary way. You labor, you try, you try to do things, and nothing happens. It's amazing. You know, in the new covenant, here's what happens. We say, well, you know, uh, we're not under the Sabbath in the new covenant. So, therefore, we don't have to hallow the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And uh, we, you know, Jesus is our, is our Sabbath. And then what we do is we don't give God time in terms of, of worshiping. We don't fellowship with believers. We don't, we don't set apart, you know, specific time to worship him. I'm not advocating for the Sabbath. I'm not going to go there today. That's something that we, we could talk about, even though, even though St. Clement, Eusebius, Polycarp, uh, Ignatius of Antioch and many others of the early church fathers said that the early church did celebrate Sunday, also known as the Lord's Day, as their new Sabbath. I'm not going to talk about that today. What I am saying is there is a clear re a command here that we have to take time to be with God. And not just in the context of, hey, I read my Bible by myself every day. Listen, we've said it before. We need one another. We're called to koinonia. We're called to that place of fellowship. You will never grow adequately if we don't put God first. If we say, I can't afford to go to church on Sunday. Listen, I'm not telling you if you work on a Sunday to quit your job. I'm not telling you to do that. You know what? You say, well, if the ox falls in the pit, you have to pull it out on the Sabbath, right? Right? Yeah, but what happens if it's every week? Either shoot the ox or fill in the pit. Come on now. Come on now. There comes a point where we can't say, well, and we start making all these excuses about why we can't be in God's house. Put God first. Prioritize your time. Prioritize your fellowship. Put it first. Yeah, I'm going to make time. I'm going to honor God. I'm going to do what's pleasing to him. And I, my God is faithful and he's true. He's not going to lie. He's going to command a blessing on me. And watch, the windows of heaven will open on your life. And you'll see things happen just like Michael did when you step out and you say what God expects you to do and you honor the Lord. Because when you give him glory, his glory is released back into your life. It's very, very important. Make time for him. Prioritize. Honor him with your talents. Honor him with your gifts. Honor him with your talents. Do you know the Bible says, actually it was Jesus who said this. Paul quoted him in Acts chapter 20. Jesus, Paul says, actually made a statement, even though it's not recorded in the Gospels anywhere, that it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. That's what he said. That's not just our money. That's our gifts. What can we do to help others? What can we do to be a blessing to someone who doesn't have? Can we go and, and, and mow their lawn? Can we, can we go and, you know, pull weeds for them? Can we take them to the shops if they have no way of getting around? Can we use our gifts to be a blessing to people? Use our, our resources, use our energy to be a blessing to others, not just to make a name for ourselves. Lynn and I have had the privilege of meeting the parents of some of the most famous pop stars in the world. Katy Perry, Avril Lavigne, even though we've not met Justin Bieber's parent, her mom, I know one of my friends 
was actually in, prayed for her and she was baptized and so was Justin with the Holy Spirit. And I can tell you, I don't know if you saw recently, but Justin Bieber, actually, I think it's on one of his social media accounts, he's actually put follower of Jesus. But you know, for a long time, he went off the rails, didn't he? I'm not saying he's fully back, but I am saying something is happening. But here's the point I want, I want to make. When we have been with some of these people, parents, and heard the story, they started off talented, using their talents in the church, using it for God. But somewhere down the road, something happened where an opportunity was presented to them to make it big. And as you know, in the case of Katy Perry in particular, as you see what has happened to her life, she's engaged in, in dark things spiritually. She lives a life of sin. Her parents love her, but they're heartbroken. And they're praying for a salvation, that she'd fully come back to Jesus. She was a worship leader, guys. That's what she did. I think there's even a video on YouTube of her leading worship when she was young. But what happened was she sold out. She compromised her calling, her character, and her convictions for money. And what she ended up doing is she idolized prosperity and fame above God. There's a scripture, Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 17. God says, in essence, you took the gifts that I gave you and you turned it into an idol and worshipped it. You took the gifts that I gave you and you turned it into an idol and you worshipped it. Everything belongs to him. Our time, our minds, our emotions, our energy, our money, our gifts, our abilities. Everything belongs to him. There will not be a full release of the blessing of God in our lives until we honor him. Another scripture, and I'll close with this, is found in Matthew 6, 33. And Jesus put it this way. He said, don't worry about your life. Don't worry about the things you need. Your father knows what you have need of. Hairs of your head are numbered. He knows everything. It's not a big deal. Don't stress. Don't worry. It's all good. God will take care of you if you seek first his kingdom and righteousness. And all these things will be given to you. If you do that, he's promised to put you in a place where I will exalt you. I'll lift you up. I'll answer you. But will you prioritize God in your life? He'll command a blessing for those who trust him and those who put him first. Will you prioritize God in your life?